Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Natural Co-Creators show with Jennifer Lynch. And this afternoon, I'm very fortunate in having Lynn McTaggart as my guest. Lynn is one of the central voices in the new consciousness movement. She's the award-winning author of seven books, including the world bestsellers, The Field, The Intention Experiments, The Bond, and her latest book, The Power of Eight. Um, Lynn is consistently listed on Watkins' annual list of the 100 most spiritually influential people in the world. Um, I have had the pleasure of hearing Lynn McTaggart talk, and I think it was five or six years ago, it was either 2012 or 2013 at Conscious conference in London um, and it was absolutely amazing she's an absolutely brilliant speaker and she's very much in demand so we're hoping that she's going to join us shortly I'll just give her a few minutes if not I will try and bring her on um, Lynn is also um been involved well it was her publication for the first um sorry about this what the doctors don't tell you um which was awarded the best and also has been awarded the best and most popular website of the year for health and well-being she's also the architect of the intention experiments a web-based global laboratory which was prominently featured in the plot line of Dan Brown's blockbuster, The Lost Symbol. Lynn is a member of both the Transformational Leadership Council, launched by Jack Canfield, and Evolutionary Leaders, launched by Deepak Chopra. She has appeared in many documentaries on the science of spirituality, including What the Bleep, Down the Rabbit Hole, The Living Matrix, I Am, and The Abundance Factor. So it'll be interesting to our listeners how many of those um, films you've actually seen as well, because I've actually um, seen the film of What the Bleep, and the living matrix as well so it's all very very interesting i'm looking forward to speaking to lynn about the intention experiment and also her books so what i'm going to do is while i'm waiting i'm just going to play um considerate man by ashna and i will be right back Thank 
Hello, Lynn is here now, so that's absolutely fantastic. I have introduced you, Lynn, and explained a little about your work, which is absolutely incredible. But obviously, our listeners would like to hear a lot more. I mean, it, I have actually seen you talk live once um, mm. at the Consciousness Conference in London. And Wonderful. That gave me some insight. That was probably about, I was trying to work out whether it was 2012 or 2013. It mm. was quite a while ago now. Maybe you might remember. Do you do that every year, that one? or? I have done for the last five years, so I don't know. It would depend on the content. <laughs> then I can tell you what year. <laughs> but anyway, it's lovely to be with you. I'm thrilled you did see me that time, and it's great to be on with all of your listeners. Okay, that's absolutely fantastic. Okay, so I'm going to ask you um, a little bit about the intention experiment. Um, obviously, sure. for people, this is massive, so I don't expect you to you know, be able to sort of explain everything about it. But if you are able to give a sort, sort of short oversight of what that experiment was about and how it benefits us. Yeah, okay, so... Um, I had done my book, The Field, um, which was all about the new science and how we're all connected and that by this invisible um, quantum web and that we have amazing capacities that we haven't really acknowledged in modern times. Um, and one of those capacities that was indicated by some of the scientific work that I covered was the idea that thoughts don't just get locked inside our heads, but are actually things that affect other things. So being the journalist that I am by background, I'm an investigative reporter by background, I wanted to know how far we can take this. You know, what are we talking about here? Are we talking about just moving a quantum particle by a tiny little bit? Or are we talking about, you know, curing cancer? So I wanted to test this to the limit. And at that point, I had... The field was in 30 languages, so I knew I had a lot of readers around the world, and I also knew a lot of the scientists doing work in consciousness research. So I thought if I just put them together, I'll have the biggest global laboratory in the world. And that's essentially what I did. I, um, I started doing experiments where I would have the scientists set up some sort of very controlled experiment, let's say of seeds, trying to make them grow faster. And then I would ask my audience, an actual audience or my internet audience, um, to send an intention to make a particular set of seeds grow faster. And we also had controls so we could compare. And of the 30 experiments we've done to date, everything from very simple experiments on seeds and leaves to trying to purify water, to trying to lower, lower violence in war-torn areas, to trying to heal somebody of PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. Of those 30, 26 have shown measurable, positive, mostly significant effects. So to give you an idea about that, in, by way of comparison, there's no pharmaceutical drug out there that has that kind of consistent track record. So why this is really important is it demonstrates that we can create what I like to call a psychic internet that can affect things in the world and that we are far more powerful than we've been told. Mm, that's absolutely amazing, isn't it? I mean, this initially, um, this changed your whole perceptions, didn't it? Because you um, were not brought up in this way of thinking. Is that right? Well, yeah. I mean, we're brought up to think of ourselves as separate objects that are it part of a world of other separate objects. You know, I end with the hair on my skin, and that's where the rest of the universe begins. And that's the way we believe, you know, that the world works. And we don't, we think that thoughts are locked inside our heads. We think that, you know, nobody else hears or nobody else experiences the effect of our thoughts. And we certainly don't think that they are dynamic entities that change matter. So this is a big radical thought. And I've considered, you know, the other big question I had was what happens when lots of people are thinking the same thought at the same time? Does it magnify the effect? And that's what we've been testing also is, you know, what happens? But the biggest surprise of all for me 
wasn't the fact that we had effects on targets. I mean, I was I was pretty surprised about that we would have the effect that we did. But it was even more mind-blowing to see that there was some sort of mirror effect on the participants. That when we were doing intentions for peace, the participants' lives became more peaceful. They entered into what can only be described as a mystical experience. And I know this because I asked them to complete surveys, not knowing anything about this. And I got back thousands of responses saying things like, you know, I I felt like I was part of a higher network. Um, I was sobbing uncontrollably. I had energy and tingling up and down my arms like an electrical current was going through. And remember, these were people taking part in a peace intention experiment, sending intention to Sri Lanka from their individual computer screens. So they weren't in a room together. There was no group effect, at least not a conscious group effect or a physical group effect, but there was some sort of amazing psychic group effect. And then afterward, what was incredible is that they started reporting things like, and again, I got thousands of reports like this from these surveys. Um, I made up with my uh, father and we never spoke before, or I've made up with other family members who were estranged. Um, I'm getting along better with my coworkers. I'm sending love all the time to my not so nice boss. Um, I'm in love with everybody I come in contact with. More than 40% said that. And, um, and so thousands and thousands of people were talking about essentially hugging strangers. And so for me, it was like, what is going on here? And so part of the reason for writing The Power of Eight was to find out why this was going on with large groups, but also what was happening in small groups, too. Yes, that's really, really interesting. And were you um, guided, I want to say guided or led, or um, was eight for you, was it just a number that you thought eight people would be a nice a nice number in opposed to seven or six or nine people, or was there actually power in the eight itself? Uh, Well, that came about Jennifer by a really funny little accident. Um, I was thinking around 2008, we started these intention experiments about 2007 and around 2008, I thought to myself, Oh, um, Um, this is starting to, I just heard that on that recording to me. Um, it was just coming over me. Um, let's try, let me, yeah, I'm now hearing. Are you getting feedback? Yeah, I'm getting, I'm getting some weird feedback. Um, let's just try. Hmm. Uh, do you want to call back in again? Yeah, I better. Okay. I better. All right. That's fine. Okay. Teach you in a minute. Okay. Hold on once. Here, let's try it again now. Is that good? All right. Let's just go back to the studio. Um, um, now it seems to be fine. Okay. That's all right. Yeah. I well, might have settled down. <laughs> I know. The technology is not perfect. Anyway, back to 2008. So I was thinking to myself, by then I'd run a number of intention experiments, and I was thinking to myself, well, I guess I probably ought to start running some workshops, but I'd never run any before. Um, You know, I'm a journalist by training once again, so I wasn't really sure how I was going to demonstrate the power of intention over a weekend workshop. So I'm kicking around the thoughts with my husband, who's also a journalist, and I said, oh, I don't know. Maybe I'll just put them in groups of eight or so and have them send healing intention to each other. And he, being a great headline writer, pointed to me and said, yeah, I like it, the power of eight. So we did this. And for our first uh, workshop, which was in Chicago, 2008, um, I put people into groups. I had them send healing intention to one member of the group with a health challenge. And I asked them to uh, all 
send the same intention together, all hold hands, you know, do all of these practices. And while I, I knew about the power of intention because I'd studied it from a lot of intention masters, distilled many of the commonalities and looked at what had worked in laboratory settings too. I knew how to do intention, but the group effect I'd never done before. I couldn't find any evidence on it. And I was essentially making it up as I went along. So I'm telling them to do these things, you know, all visualize X and Y, hold hands, et cetera, et cetera. And I felt it would probably be like a facial. It would feel really nice, you know, really relaxing. And that would be about it. So I asked them to come back the next day and they did. And they got the microphone in turn and each of them said things like this. You know, I have headaches every day of my life, terrible migraines, and my head is clear today. I have terrible arthritis. My, I always walk with a limp, and I can walk normally today. I have terrible IBS, and my stomach feels normal today for the first time in, in years. And on and on it went for about an hour. A woman with cataracts said that her eyes were 80% better. I mean, I was just shocked sitting there and disbelieving. And my husband and I just looked at each other with our mouths open. And what I thought at the time was, no, placebo effect. This is the effect of expectation. And so I didn't really talk about it. And I continued to do it, though, and try to look at it to try to understand this. Because in every workshop I did, I did these little power of eight groups. And in every workshop, there were dozens of people who got healed of all kinds of things. I mean, there was a woman recently who had stroke and she couldn't focus her eyes and her eyes were focused normally after the intention. There was somebody else with a a hand in a brace. He couldn't move his arm at all. And after the intention, he came back the next day with his brace off, moving it normally. You know, we had terrible back pain people where they were just suddenly better. We had a woman with scoliosis whose daughter wrote to me afterward to say that they had to change her rear view mirror because her back is straightened so much. And, you know, on and on and on, hundreds, thousands now. And to all of this, I maintained a lot of skepticism until I started realizing that some of the senders, many of the senders were also getting healed too. So this was beyond a placebo effect because I never talked about that with the senders. This was something more. Okay, that's absolutely wonderful. Um, incredible, actually, <laughs> absolutely incredible. Um, I also would like to bring up, what do you think about, I mean, this is very random, but it, I have to ask it. There are people doing this within groups on Facebook as well, where they, um, where somebody's ill or a group of people ask for healing on Facebook. And mm-hmm. it's been my experience that this also works really well. Oh, um, yeah. Oh, you don't have to be in the same physical space. Um, I run a master class every year where I teach people over six weeks. We've just started the, the one for 2018. And after we do six weeks of training, I then put people into groups and they meet every week for the rest of the year. And I send them a lot of challenges. We have follow up calls, et cetera. And I monitor what goes on with them. And it's been my experience that it doesn't matter whether you're in the same space or you're just meeting on Skype. It still works. And the same thing with Facebook. It's, I even do, I do an intention of the week with our, my audience every Sunday where we give them a date and time and they send intention to three people with different health challenges. And that coming together, just knowing about the time and doing it at the same time forms that connection. Okay, that's that's just amazing. So also um, about the religious aspect, because in your book, The Power of Eight, you also include prayer. Um, how does it fall? I mean, I mean, for me, I'd be quite happy with, with people believing what they want to believe, but how how does that fit with you and, and different people from different backgrounds? 
Yeah. Well, well, I was trying to find I was trying to find some antecedent for this because I figured this is pretty powerful, and somebody had to have thought of this before me. Um, so I started looking through indigenous practices and re- early religious practices, and you know, mystical traditions like the Rosicrucians, et cetera, et cetera. There were many organizations that used prayer groups. Um, pretty much all the major religions, you know, the uh, Catholics from the time of uh, St. Teresa de Avila uh, set up prayer groups. The Jews used minions, which is a group of 10, I believe, um, for healing. You know, a lot of groups, a lot of religions use prayer groups and meet in prayer groups. But what I couldn't find was any evidence of any modality where the senders were also getting healed and where everybody was holding the same thought at the same time. So I'm looking and looking and looking, and I come across a little-known sermon by a Protestant minister um, from the early part of the 20th century, and he was talking about the idea that the Bible had been mistranslated in in a part. And he was talking about an area of the Bible, a section called the Acts, which is when the apostles, Jesus supposedly ascended to heaven and the apostles um, then formed, you know, they started forming the new fledgling church. So in there, they talk about 15 times in that section about how the apostles are supposed to pray. And it says they're supposed to pray with one accord. That's the King James James Version Uh, of it that's the translation now that's a pretty anemic translation because the original which was written in the hellenic greek uses a term an adverb called homothumadon and what that is is a it's a musical term that means passionately and with one voice think about a beethoven symphony where all the different instruments may be individual but they come together for that powerful collective sound. That's what it was talking about, you know, this passionate single voice. And if you look through the Acts, you see over and over again, Jesus saying things like, you know, if you pray together with one voice, homo thumadon, you will be healed. You will heal. And he encouraged the apostles always to be in clusters. And in fact, the first time they they tried to create the church, which was about 120 people, they all prayed together. They uh, led them in a prayer together. And so that was what Jesus was uh, supposedly trying to tell them is you will have this amazing power when you pray together with one voice. So when I think of prayer and intention, I think intention is just a more specific kind of prayer. You know, oftentimes when people pray, they, they will say, God, your, thy will be done. You know, you decide. Whereas an intention is very much always specifically, here's what I'd like, please. So, and the more specific, the better in my experience. So um, I think that, um, I think prayer is just another form of it. And uh, certainly I see that with the evidence on prayer, uh, because a big part of why this works so well, as we discovered, was the whole altruistic component, something that really is missing from most of the self-help movement. And that look at the title of it, self-help, help Mm. yourself. Um, (laughs) What I think is so powerful about these groups is that you are getting off yourself. You're helping other people. And certainly there was an amazing study about prayer, looking at whether or not prayer could uh, heal mental illness. You know, there's plenty of evidence about prayer being able to be effective on physical illness. But this guy who was a psychologist and also a priest wanted to test it with mental illness. So he gathered together about 400 volunteers who were all people with depression, with clinical depression, And he divided them into two groups. One group was going to get the prayer, and the other 
group was going to give the prayer. They were going to be the people doing the praying. And afterward, he measured them according to all kinds of psychological markers to see if they were improved. Now, the people who got the prayer, they got better in every regard, but not as better as the people who were giving the prayer. They did really well in improving their own symptoms. So that's a real interesting indicator that the person who's doing the giving rather than the receiving is really, you know, that's a very powerful thing for them, a healing um, thing for them too. Okay, that's that's very, very interesting. I'm sure everybody like to um, understand that a little bit more, and they can understand it more by reading your book, um, The Power of Eight, can't they? Yes, I really talk about so much of this and trying to tease out why altruism is so powerful. Okay, that's wonderful. And also, I mean, you talk about the new age. Well, we talked a little bit about the um, self-help, but also um, I'd like to mention the secret here because you you do mention the secret. And uh, that was obviously extremely popular, sold millions of books. And also the film has been extremely popular. I have myself watched that three or four times. But that's very much focused on the material world, isn't it? Uh, yes. And I think that I think what was fabulous about The Secret is it introduced the idea of thoughts being powerful ways to affect your own world and that you create your life. You create your your fortune to some degree. Um, I think it's a little more nuanced, and here's w- one reason why. It was very much focused on the material, and my intention groups are very much focused on helping other people. Um, but there's an amazing rebound effect. Um, it's not just about health, though, although we've, you know, I'm talking a lot about health now. When I do our master classes, I have people uh, suggest that they do intentions on four major areas. Uh, their health or their relationships or their finances stroke career or their life's purpose and any combination of the above. And so when people start meeting in groups every week, they send intention to each other to try to help them on specific areas they need help with. And so everybody takes turns and it's really fascinating to me um, what happens. Now, I actually monitored a batch of these people in 2015 just to see how effective this was. So I had them fill out forms every month, and I monitored how they were in all those areas. And I can say there were 250 people in this group, uh, in this this whole class, uh, put into small groups. And of the 250 people, about 150 continued to meet regularly for the whole year. And of of those 150, pretty much 100% of those people experienced major life transformations, whether it was in their health, their relationships, their finances, their career, their life's purpose. I mean, we had, for instance, Mitchell Dean, who was embarrassed as a clinical psychologist because he was, um, he had terrible often suicidal depression. And that isn't a good calling card if you're a psychologist. Um, But he had tried everything. He was an integrative psychologist. He tried everything and nothing seemed to make him better. No alternative anything was making him better. So he asked the group to send intention for him to find the source of uh, of this depression. And soon after, he was, he had an urge to check out certain things with a Chinese practitioner who ran some tests and found that one of his liver liver filtration systems wasn't working. And that's why some toxic stuff was going to his brain. So as soon as that was fixed, he was much, much better. We had a woman who had 15 years worth of chronic fatigue, could barely get out of bed, could barely exercise for more than five minutes before having to go back to bed. And, um, Again, her group sent intention for her to found, find the source of why she was feeling like this, and she found that there was some very toxic mold in her dressing room. 
um, that was causing toxic mold in her. And as soon as she found that and cleaned it up, she's now lifting weights and going for hikes. And, you know, and on and on. And we had people who had amazing financial windfalls. You know, one woman down to her last 200 pounds. Um, Her group sent her intention to get more money, and she got an amazing windfall. She somehow qualified for a major windfall from Lloyd's of London. Um, We had people who changed their jobs and got dream jobs and, you know, made up with estranged relatives, things like that. But for some people, it didn't work initially. And Andy was one of those. And Andy was going through a divorce. Um, She had two young children, and she was looking to change her job and to find a new career. She had sold her gift store business, but she couldn't find anything else. No no offers were coming through. None of her searches for new, new work were bearing fruit. So finally, we started working with her a little bit on some of the the calls I was doing with the groups. And I would ask her to try this and try that. And nothing was working. So I finally just said, Andy, just get off of yourself. Focus on somebody else. And the other person I had in mind was a young boy called Luke, who was 15, had broken up with his first serious girlfriend, and in a fit of adolescent angst, threw himself off a 40-foot structure onto hard ground. As a result, he broke everything. You know, he broke everything in his body, and he he got nerve damage and brain damage, and they didn't think he was going to live. So I asked the groups to set up essentially a healing vigil for Luke, and it was really amazing. A lot of Luke's response corresponded right away to the moments we sent intention. It was really quite remarkable. And he actually got out of the hospital in record time. He got all better. It was just amazing. Now, maybe it was just good doctoring, but maybe it was us. But here's the really interesting point. What happened to Andy? Because as soon as she started focusing on Luke, her fortunes completely changed, and she got an amazing job offer just that next week um, for a dream job. That's incredible, isn't it? So she took the focus off herself, started focusing on Luke, and then the energy of that shifted for her as well. Um, yeah, that that's absolutely incredible. And I also think when people give healing and they are, I'd say, like a channel for that healing, they actually do feel, cause, because I actually give Reiki healing as well, and I have actually noticed a shift upwards in energy of my own well-being when I am healing another person. So it's like, like you say, once you take the attention off you and you're therefore, um, you know, focusing on someone else, the energy sort of comes in and lifts you also. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, I've heard that many times about healers and I've seen some studies of this too. Uh, Gary Schwartz did studies of, of Reiki healers and found that they would often, giving was as good as getting. I mean, they were getting healed um, as well. So yeah, it, it absolutely is the case. I mean, the, the science shows that altruism is like a bulletproof vest. It truly is. It is when you do something for someone else, a number of things happen. You are happier, you live longer, you um, are healthier, and also it keeps refreshing your immune system. Um, when you do something compassionate for someone else, it turns on a nerve called the vagus nerve, which is the longest nerve in our bodies. It winds through all our major organs. And it's also responsible for helping to activate things like oxytocin, the release of oxytocin, the hormone that is responsible that gets released when we are caring for children and, you know, showing compassion. And it keeps working on the immune system. It's like a, um, it's like a virtuous circle. It also, they've demonstrated, there have been some evidence um, 
carried out, some scientific research carried out by University of California at Berkeley, showing that when uh, we focus on something off of ourselves, something compassionate, parts of us fire that are much more tolerant of people who are not like us. And we feel more connected to them. So here's a really important thing to happen during these days of so much polarization in different countries, like the UK, like the US, you know, with Democrats and Republicans, the UK with Remainers and, and Brexiteers. Um, it's really interesting getting off of yourself, doing for someone else makes you feel more connected to people who have different points of view, people who are not like you. Mm. There's lots of divisions at the moment in the world. It's almost as if the uh, gaps are widening instead of people coming together. And this is a way where we we can come together, isn't it? Which is amazing. So how yes. would people go about setting up a group if they want to set up a a group of eight? Themselves? Well, I give full instructions of how to do that in my book, The Power of Eight. And for people who don't eight people nearby that they think they could invite, um, you can go on my website, lynnmctaggart.com forward slash forum, where we invite people to set up groups. And we have hundreds of groups now being set up or having been set up who are meeting regularly. And we have them noted by time zones. So if you go on there, you'll find people who are most likely in your time zone and just ask to be part of their group or put a little ad up to, you know, it's just, just put up a, a notice saying, I'd like to set up a group in wherever you are in X time zone, and then people will connect with you. And you covered this a little bit earlier um, when we were talking about prayer and intention, that it doesn't require anybody to have a certain set of beliefs, does it? Doing No, this. absolutely not. I mean, intention is a nice secular prayer, essentially. You know, it is praying to the universe. So it doesn't matter whether you are religious or you're not religious in, in a standard way. Um, you just need to try it out. And in fact, it doesn't even need belief. It's, it's better if you have it. But in the case of Luke, I mean, if, if we affected Luke, he knew standing intention, but unlike his parents who believed in the power of intention, he thought the whole thing was stupid. Yes. <laughs> Until proved differently. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, you know, typical teenager, right? So, yeah. but, like what you do that you know, typical of the whole thing. Yeah. How interesting. Okay, so Lynn, I want to ask you a little bit before we sort of finish up here, because we've got about another sort of five minutes or so, about Sam Brown's blockbuster, The Lost Symbol, um, mm -hmm. because you were actually involved in that, weren't you? Well, I wasn't involved in it. I was named in it. It was I was as surprised as anyone to see it. <laughs> I wasn't. Well, I had no involvement at all. I think he read my books and he liked them. And mm -hmm. so he, he did two things. He named, he created a character who is kind of an amalgam of me and a few other people who was doing intention experiments, who was very influenced by Lynn McTaggart and her book, the intention experiment. And he named it and very helpfully mentioned the website in there too. Um, and so I was just shocked because um, I heard from my editor at the time, 2009, um, you're in, or one of the salespeople wrote from Simon & Schuster, my publisher in the States, to say, uh, I believe you're in, a, in, a, in the new book, the, the Lost Symbol. So I said, I am? And I, go I didn't even know what the Lost Symbol was. Um, and I Googled it and found, oh, my God, this is Dan Brown's new book. So my, my husband ran out to buy a copy of it. and We got it and we found me in this book. So it was kind of, it was kind of shocking. I wrote him a, a letter saying, thank you for mentioning me and my website in your book. But it was a complete surprise. Okay, that's absolutely brilliant. That must be um you know, because whether it's done through fiction or whether it's done in a film, the message is still getting out there to so many people, isn't it? 
Well, yeah, I think people are getting the idea that we have powers that we never thought we did before that are, you know, that have been acknowledged by many ancient traditions and indigenous populations know all about this. But we in the West, with our very materialist, reductive view of the world and the old science, which describes us all, as I say, as well-behaved separate objects operating according to fixed laws in time and space. Well, now we know our thoughts can traverse all sorts of things, continents to affect things. I mean, my, that first seed, one of those early experiments on seeds where we had four sets of seeds um, sent to us, photos of four sets of seeds, 30 seeds each, and we were to choose one of the sets of seeds, A, B, C, or D. I was in Sydney, Australia, in front of an audience of about 700. So I invited them to choose it randomly. I think we, whatever we chose, group A, let's say. I didn't tell the scientists which groups we were sending intention to, but I did tell them when we were finished. So that was the cue for them to plant all four sets of seeds and to measure them five days later. And only after they measured them would I unblind the study and tell them which seeds we'd sent intention to. So what we discovered is the seeds sent intention grew far higher than the controls. And we ran this study 12 times, and every single time the seeds sent intention grew higher than the controls. But here's the interesting thing about it. Just think about it. Let's unpack it for a second. I'm in Sydney, Australia. The actual seeds themselves are sitting in a laboratory in Tucson, Arizona, 8,000 miles away. And also, we are um, not sending intention to the thing. We're sending intention to a photograph of the thing, a photographic representation of the thing. So that was the thing that's so mind-boggling about it, is that there is this kind of power we hold, the psychic internet, that together even if we're sitting separately, or that can reach across the miles, miles and miles, 8,000 miles away to affect a little set of seeds on the opposite side of the globe. Okay, so this this has massive ramifications because actually as I'm, I'm sort of tuning into this a little bit more, I'm thinking about GM and about the whole thing about genetically modified seeds and, you know, we can actually have an impact on the energy of what is planted. In other words, can't we? I mean, <laughs> we are creating our new world if we are actually having an effect on seeds, aren't we? Well, we yeah, our, our intention was just to make them grow faster. Mm. But, you know, maybe the sky's the limit. I mean, I tend to be always that journalist, in my heart that says, okay, let's test it. Let's see how far we can take it. I can't, there are huge implications here, but let's see what bit by bit. I mean, we were surprised to see over and over again that it would appear we had an effect in lowering violence. It would appear that we had an amazing effect in healing people. And so it's, that's why I carry on with the intention experiment. And what's also amazing is, the power among the participants to be so affected. One of the most recent ones I did was in the Middle East. We had um, participants who were on a special broadcast I had with a special technology that enabled me to have nine computer screens. Each screen was connected to a conference room in a different Arab country. And then the ninth screen, so we had eight screens from and participants from eight Arab countries from Kuwait to Saudi Arabia to Oman, etc. And then our ninth one was an audience of Jews in Jerusalem. And we all sent an intention together to lower violence in a part of Jerusalem that every religion has interest in because it's, you know, that is the seat of all the major religions. So we did. And here's this interesting thing. Now, maybe we had an effect, maybe we didn't, but, what was more interesting is what happened among the participants afterward. Because there were interactive screens, they could talk to me, they could talk to each other, and they started sending love to each other. 
They started sending forgiveness to each other. They said, started saying things like, your God is my God. It was essentially historic. And that's the real power of this. The whole thing of us coming together. It's almost the outcome of the experiments are almost immaterial. What's mm. so important and powerful and life transforming is its effect on the participants and how that radiates out into each of their worlds. Mm. Yeah, that's absolutely fantastic. I love that. And I agree with you that that's just incredible. Um, and how the scientific uh, community reacts to this I call it a community because <laughs> there's lots of different types of science isn't there but obviously you, you know you've been working with these people is it being received well is it being continuing continually being received well your experiments um, it depends on what scientists you're talking about if you're talking about scientists who are true explorers who believe in the power of being open-minded and that sometimes in science you learn things you didn't expect, but you carry on because you are a true explorer, even if it takes yeah. you to a place you didn't want to go to. That's a real mm-hmm. scientist. And they are fascinated and interested and involved in these kinds of things. Then you've got you know, the vast majority of the scientific community in terms of the people who are writing and saying things are essentially involved in a religion you know their religion is to essentially confirm the status quo their religion says everything we know about science you know we're learning so much we already know a lot of it whereas i think the explorer scientists understand that science is just a story and new chapters rewrite the old chapters you know, the ones that have come before and we're on the brink of an amazing new story and so mm-hmm. Those are the scientists I'm interested in. I'm not interested in changing people's minds. I'm interested in writing this stuff, putting it out there. And if it does change people's minds, wonderful. But I'm not writing it to appeal to or to agree with the scientific community. I I gave that up a long time ago. Okay, Lynn, that's absolutely fantastic. I think I need to leave it there. So thank you so much for being my guest on the Natural Co-Creator Show. And if you want to get in touch with Lynn, please go to her website, www.lynnmctaggart.com, lynnmctaggart.com, and you can find out all about her amazing work. So thank you so much, Lynn, for coming on today. Thank you, Jennifer. It's been a real pleasure being with you. Okay, thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you, you too. Okay, so that was the amazing uh, Lynn McTaggart. And please listen to this interview several times because it is absolutely brilliant. The information is brilliant. And if you want to know more about her work, um, please go to her website. Her books are also on Amazon.co.uk and Amazon.com. And I have personally downloaded um, the Power of Eight, which I've started reading, and it's, it's just absolutely fascinating. So I'm just going to play one song before we go, and that's The Enchanted Forest by Ajna.
Okay, thank you very much. And my next show will be on Wednesday, this Wednesday. So I look forward to speaking to more of you then. Take care. Thank you very much. Goodbye.